Okay, so you can go to Luke chapter 7, verse 36. We'll be there here in a few minutes. So, you know, I'm, you probably figured this out if you've been here a while. I'm not a Hallmark preacher, and by that I mean uh, just because it's uh, Thanksgiving coming up doesn't mean necessarily I'm going to preach Thanksgiving sermon or or whatever. If it's if it's Father's Day or Mother's Day or whatever's day, uh, I don't necessarily preach on that. If we're going through a series and we're going through, the, say, the Gospel of John, we're not right now, but if we were, then that's what I would do most of the time. There are reasons for that that we don't have to get into this morning, but uh, that's that's true. One of those reasons, by the way, I will give you this one. One of those reasons is because I really like to let the Lord and not Hallmark decide what we're going to talk about. That's just kind of uh, my thing. However, when we come to this particular holiday, Thanksgiving, it's it's one of those that I think does deserve for us to talk about what it's all about. And you know the real reason I think that? Because this one gets overlooked anymore. Our culture has largely quit Thanksgiving and instead has gone straight from ghouls and goblins. And I'm not knocking that even. It's just most of that's just silly. I know there's some stuff that people get concerned about and sometimes with with good reason. Um, but they go straight from those things and sugar and candy to gimme, 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 gimme. We can talk about that a different day. Uh, and we will, but I'm not going to tell you when. So that would, you can't skip it. Uh, ah, see, I don't know how that works. That's why I'm doing the Thanksgiving one a week early. See, ah, I was thinking. So in that rush to move on to the next thing, I find it very sad that the one we skip is the one, kind of the one and only, that is not just a hallmark thing, but it is a real, deep, spiritual, long-historied holiday within our own culture that was born not just of culture, but of faith. I think it's sad that the one we, that we skip is the one and only that has not been commercialized. And I actually think that we ought to rebel against much of the commercialization of any day that was supposed to be about Jesus. Okay, I think we ought to rebel against that. We don't. We go in whole hog. But I think we should. I think one of the ways to rebel would be to lift this one up. I think the way to be light and darkness would be to praise God and thank God while others around us deny God. I think we should do that. I think we should make a marked effort to do that. And it's not about turkey and dressing, although I love both those things. Uh, but it's not about all of that. Have all that you want to, to an, to an extent. I guess I could have another sermon then on gluttony, couldn't I? Uh, but, but make it about what it's about. Don't make the Thanksgiving thoughts to God for what he's done an afterthought or a quick rush to get to cranberry sauce. But really praise the Lord. Doesn't mean you got to stand there for an hour with the tongs in your hand. But, you know, it does does mean put some thought into it. Put some faith into it. Put some gratitude into it. With that in mind, I want to look first. I told you to go to Luke. You don't have to flip to this other one. It'll be on the screen. Uh, I want to look at a passage that challenges us, and, and we looked at it last week in a way. Yeah, we looked at it in Philippians, but the same idea is repeated here in First Thessalonians, and that is this attitude of rejoice always. We looked at Philippians 4, 
where Paul says rejoice, and he says, I'm going to say it again. Why did he do that? Because we had to hear it again. Why did, why did we need to hear it again? Because we miss it. Okay? He said, I'm going to say it again, rejoice. And then he gives us reasons to rejoice. Well, he, he apparently thought the church at Thessalonica needed it just as much as the church at, at Philippi. I almost said Philippi. I don't, I'm making churches up this morning. At Philippi. And he wrote this, rejoice always. How often should you be thankful to the Lord? The third Thursday in November. Is that what it said? No. Always. Some of you got, you, I'm going to do a bunch of pop quizzes and I didn't even know it. They're popped to me too. There you go. Y'all got it. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in how many circumstances? When the Cowboys win. No, the Lord knows that's not nearly enough. So he says that you're going to have to pray in all circumstances. Okay, so give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If you've ever sat around with this this hole in your heart and your mind, worried, wringing your hands, about, I just don't know what God's will is for me. Look at it. Look, look, look. He gave it to you. Clear as a bell. Say, yeah, but I was wondering if I needed to do this. Yeah, but he said to do this. What is God's will for you? Rejoice always. Pray continually or without ceasing, some of your translations say. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ. This is what your heart should look like, your mind should look like, your day should look like. This is it, to have this kind of attitude. And when you might look at that and go, well, I, I, don't, I don't know how to do that. That's fair. We do not naturally do this. This is He wouldn't have to tell us if this is what we were already doing, just coming out the womb, rejoicing and praying. And, and what was it, giving thanks? I just lost it for a second, missed my own pop quiz. We just don't naturally do this. We default to annoyances, causing us to complain, hurts, causing us to be embittered, offenses causing us to be angry, and we default to those things. That's why we have road rage. That's why we have wars over land and places and and resources. It's selfishness. James talks about that. Why do you have all these wars and, and fights and quarrels among you? He says, is it because there's things you want and you haven't gotten them. You're a bunch of selfish, self-absorbed people. He was talking to the church. That's why it happens all around us, because this is not our default setting. So how do we fix that? I'm going to look this morning, hopefully you'll look with me, at a, a, a story from Jesus' ministry and life that's familiar probably to most of you. Uh, I go back to this one pretty often. There's a lot to learn here. And there are four things that I think will help us real quick in adjusting our, our vision and our life and our attitude to where we start to become this kind of people or become more of this kind of people. Okay? So the first one is perspective. Let's go to Luke chapter 6, verse 36. I'm going to read this whole little interaction that Jesus has at dinner one night. Uh, my inspiration here was that as we come to Thanksgiving... Uh, just the idea, how often Jesus used time at a supper table or a dinner table or a breakfast table 
to change people's hearts and lives. It's a normal thing. And it's one of the things that is still so powerful in the kingdom. Time we spend eating together, talking together, having coffee or Dr. Pepper, whatever it is you have together, bacon cheeseburger together. These are important. They are, are, they are just life. They're life giving and life sharing and they're important. And Jesus knew this. So he invited people to tables all the time. Sometimes he invited himself to tables like with Zacchaeus. Hey, Zacchaeus, come on down. You're fixing me dinner. Maybe I should start doing that. You're like, you better not. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, and then you know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, well, Jesus did it. I don't know. I tried that with sardines the other day and they still wouldn't eat them, but Jesus ate them. I don't know what to tell you. It's Jesus food. Verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And when he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined to the table and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, I always love this thing. Luke does this because this is what the people were saying. This is what the people were thinking. She's a sinner. Well, who would have been at dinner besides Jesus who wasn't? Oh, that's the thing that always goes through my mind. Anyway, I, she probably didn't like that Luke put that here in writing, so we read it every single time. Anyway, she was a sinner. And standing behind him at his feet, this is verse 38, I skipped a little. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he or the Pharisee, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they would not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, well, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged correctly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time that I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with the ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. I'm just going to make a little parenthetical thing, as I'm going to do every week, obviously. For those of us in the men's class on Wednesday night, we've been looking at the character of God and what some of those words mean. And this week was this word right here where he says, your faith has saved you. And the word that's used there, both in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, here in the New Testament, in the Greek, the word there is not just faith, in the sense that we think of faith like, I just, I believe. It is faith that says, I trust you. In this case, I trust you, Jesus. I take you at your word. And I'm going to follow and do whatever you want me to do. It carries all of that with it every time it's there. So we can read over the word faith sometimes and go, well, yeah, she had faith. No. 
she put her full weight and trust on Jesus in that moment. And she was saved because of it. Why? Because she had faith. Yeah? Because she had faith in the one that was true to his promises, true to his heart of compassion and mercy, true to his love, and true to what he had said he would be. We read in Isaiah 61 that he said he would come. That passage was about Jesus. He said so when he got up and, and stood up and read it one day in a synagogue in Nazareth. He said, by the way, that's me. And his promise in Isaiah 61 was that I will bring good news, that he would set the captive free and bring good news for the poor. And this poor, enslaved woman, enslaved to sin, whatever that was, was set free because she said, I believe you. I trust you. I think you're real. And I think you're true. And I think you're right. That's a dinner table, isn't it? Can you imagine being there that night? Yet there were people who were there who missed all of that. And it all came down to this. It is impossible for us to be grateful if our perspective on God is off kilter. If we think he is a mean ogre waiting to zap us, how are we ever going to be grateful? If we don't understand how much grace he wants to give, how will we ever really understand how grateful we can be? If we look at ourselves and we are at one of the extremes, which is so often where we find ourselves, of the Pharisee who is so self-righteous, he can't even see his need for a Savior. How can I be grateful to somebody I don't need? It's impossible. If I am so guilt-ridden, down on myself, angry with myself, bitter toward other people, that I can't possibly believe that God's grace would ever reach into my life and into my heart and actually find any root there, how am I going to be grateful? All I can think about in that moment is what I've done wrong. All I can think about is how much God can't possibly love me or like me or want me to be around. And in those moments, if we're at that extreme, gratitude becomes impossible. And so one of the things that the Messiah came to do was to fix our attitude and to fix our understanding and to fix our perspective. Luke says when she walked into that room, she was a sinner. She was right to see herself that way. Because she was. Jesus doesn't even argue when they say, well, if you knew. He doesn't argue with whether or not she was a sinner. He knew she was. But this perspective on what that means and how God responds was completely different from what Simon thought it was. Simon thought if she's a sinner and he knows that, he would condemn her and reject her and push her away. He would in no way be proud that she's coming in. He would rebuke her for interrupting our dinner. How dare she come in here and mess up my party? That's what he would think you would do and how you would see it if you just saw her the way he did. But thank God he doesn't see us this way that Simon does. 
Jesus saw her and he saw that she was a sinner. And you know what he saw? A sinner he loved. When he sees you, what does he see? Does he know every fault you have? Yes, he does. But he sees that completely differently. He sees that like a father who sees his child hurt. Who sees that maybe it was a self-inflicted wound. And isn't there to say, well, what do you think over there? And gripe him out. But is there to say, let me help you with that. Let's go in. We'll get this dressed. We'll clean that out. You'll be better. It's okay. The woman had had her perspective changed, and she knew this. What little we know of her, this was not the way she had seen herself until she met Jesus. She was an outcast, obviously, but she thought she was too. For her to be able to walk into that room and address Jesus is a witness to how much she had been set free, not just from sin, but from how she had seen herself as a sinner. Her perspective had changed. She comes in knowing that regardless of what anybody else thought in the room, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. She knew Isaiah 61. She'd heard that it before. She goes in there knowing God loves me and has accepted me and has already saved me. She's there in gratitude because of that change in her perspective. The second thing is this, and this is something that was really missing in that room, and that's humility. Self-righteousness just breeds arrogance and pride because our perspective of ourselves is all off kilter. And we don't, again, we don't think we need what other people need. We don't need a Savior, or at least not as much. You know, yes, I had to be forgiven, but I didn't have to be forgiven like them. What an ungodly attitude, but so easy for us to get. So easy. Humility says, even this other sinner is only a sinner as much as I. We may not have the same problem. We may not have the same struggles. We may not have the same traps. But we're the same. We've been lost. I've been lost. You've been lost. We've made decisions we would take back. We've said things we would unsay. We've thought things we would unthink. We've done nothing when we should have done much. We know that. Humility doesn't hide that. Humility says, Lord, save me. Humility says one to another, Yeah, I'm a sinner too. Would you pray for me? Doesn't try to hide. Doesn't try to deny. Imagine the bravery of this woman. It's bravery. To be able to come in before all these judgmental people, but also before the loving Messiah, and just show this worship, because it is. It's praise and worship and gratitude. There's a humility and, and a perspective and a heart there that we've got to regain as the people of God 
because that's world-changing when we become those kind of people. When we can say to another sinner, somebody whose behavior we may find truly, even in a, a right way, repulsive, when we can go to that person and say, listen, that's not right, but I love you. I care for you. I'm going to pray with you and I'll help you. Then we start to be the kind of people that God has called us to be. That kind of, it takes humility because as long as we're proud, we'll never be able to put up with sins that we deem different from our own. Somehow, less worthy of grace than our own. We have to be a people that can say to others, yeah, I, I flubbed that up too. I've been a mess. And be prayed for, not just pray for others. Confess to, not just hear confession. We have to be those kind of people. And that's all born out of humility. And you'll be amazed the sense of overwhelming gratitude that will flood your heart and your soul when you have lowered yourself in that way and humbled yourself in that way. Not just a command God gives us to humble ourselves to make us feel lower. It's meant to help us to see things the way they really are and to see one another as valuable as we really are. Humility isn't a lack of value or a lack of worth. It's a lack of puffery. Grace, why is she there? She's there because she realizes what she's been forgiven of. I am convinced that the church will become far more powerful in its influence for good and for love and for kindness and for evangelism when and only when we really catch what grace really is. Because if you know what God has done for you and what Christ has done for you, you don't hold that back. In all these things, somebody could look at what I'm saying and say, well, yeah, you're supposed to say that. You're a preacher. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. I don't preach these things because I'm a preacher. I'm a preacher because I've seen these things in the heart of God. And how do you not say something when you've actually seen grace? You don't have to be a preacher with one of these little wooden things on a timer. You can just do this where you are. But how do you stay quiet? How do you hold that to yourself when grace really has you? Then you would start to see Thanksgiving as a holiday. You would see it for what it really is. I get to thank God. I get to publicly say, God has been good to me and to my family. And you may look at some things that are going on and say, well, but some of those things haven't been good. Yes, but can God work through all things? to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose? Yeah, because I didn't make that up. Paul said that in Romans 8. Yes, he can. He does. We bear witness to that as, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as a congregation, constantly where God has done that. Grace changes everything about your attitude. But you can't get you can't understand and comprehend the grace you've received if you've never received it. I know we can easily think we have, but we've left things unconfessed. We've left burdens 
still loaded on the our backs instead of on the cross. We allow anger or bitterness or sorrow or loss or hurt to hold us back. Sometimes what keeps us from God is not even sin. Sometimes it's just the barrier of how we respond to what happens in life. We've allowed our hurts. We've allowed our our uh, perceptions of what should have been to get in the way. And we don't embrace what could be in Christ. This woman decided that day, you know what, no more. I'm marching in there. I'm seeing Jesus. I'm thanking God. I'm giving him the honor that these guys clearly aren't going to give him, but that he richly deserves. And if they want to kick me out, they can kick me out. When you get that perspective, see, people can't hold you back, can they? Could not hold her back. Isn't that something? The last one is this one. I think it's the why. Love. In this case, I don't even mean for each other. I mean for the one who died for us. Because if you get a perspective on how far he has come because of he loves you that much, isn't that what the song says at the end? Because he first loved me. If you get that perspective and you get grace, how do you not love him? How do you not just absolutely desire to pour out to him, this God is how much I love you in gratitude, in praise, and in worship? How do you not want to share that with somebody else? You've got to see this guy, Jesus. What, I, what I've seen is absolutely incredible. There's a reason this is what's all over the Gospels. All over the Gospels is people who got it and then went, y- y'all got to come see this. That will be us. It will be us when we really get it, when we really understand all that he has done for us. I'm going to do two things. I'm going to put this passage up there and I want that to sink in. If anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Paul wants them to get that, to really understand. Everything is different once you get this. Everything changes once you see Jesus face to face and once you understand his love and his grace and his compassion for you. Everything changes. Now, with that in mind, I want to read these uh, words from a song by C.C. Winans back in 1999. I, I bet none of y'all were even here yet, were you? 1999. It's 2023. It's, this, is, this is from the ancient archives, okay? 1999. I, I was already... Yeah, okay. Anyway, here we go. Listen to these words. You, somewhere in here, you're going to find yourself. The room grew still as she made what... As, excuse me. I'm going to find this in a second. There's a letter that didn't end up on the printer. The room grew still as she made her way to Jesus. She stumbles through the tears that made her blind. She felt such pain. Some spoke in anger. She heard folks whisper, there's no place here for her kind. Still on she came through the shame that flushed her face until at last she knelt before his feet. And though she spoke no words, everything she said was heard as she poured her love for the master from her box of alabaster. 
So I've come to pour praise, pour my praise on him, like oil from Mary's alabaster box. So don't be angry if I wash his feet with my tears and I dry them with my hair. Because you weren't there the night he found me. You did not feel what I felt when he wrapped his love all around me. And you don't know the cost, not of this oil, in my alabaster box. No one knows what you've been through. I can't forget the way life used to be, because I was a prisoner to the sin that had me bound, and I spent my days, poured my life without measure into a little treasure box I thought I'd found. Until the day when Jesus came to me, and he healed my soul and the wonder of his touch, so now I'm giving back to him all the praise he's worthy of. I've been forgiven, and that's why I love him so much. So I've come to pour out my praise on him like oil from Mary's alabaster box. So don't be angry if I wash his feet with my tears and dry them with my hair. You weren't there the night Jesus found me. You did not feel what I felt when he wrapped his loving arms around me. And you don't know. You don't know the cost of the oil in my alabaster box. Nobody really does. Here's what we know. No matter what's in your box, Jesus loves you. No matter what you would pour out, Jesus receives you. And he makes you new. And if you need to lay all that down, lay it down. Believe him. Trust him. Be baptized into him. That's when Romans 6, 3 and 4 says, we finally see faith do its thing and we have a whole new life. Those who've been there, you know what he's talking about. The lightness, the freedom that comes when you finally lay it all down. If you need to do that this morning, we do offer this time, but if you need to talk about it, if you need to know more about it, come and see me always, anytime. Let's stand and sing.